1: we are back we had some hints at the top of the program about something a little out of the ordinary in our second uh, segment and this is our second segment so let's go out of the ordinary in this case we're going to ask somebody who's in a position to um, clarify matters about a book that we were sent here at kdvs i don't know about about 18 months ago i think it was was a while back but it was a book called Hide and Seek, The Untold Story of Cold War Naval Espionage. This was sent to us by a publicist, as as books often are. In fact, I wish some of my fellow public affairs hosts would go out there and clean out the bin. But this book was sent to us um, unsolicited by a publicist, as I say, and, and, it, and it did catch my eye. Because on this program, we've we've been very interested in things related to intelligence, things related to the military, and how sometimes... Our military intelligence uh, appears to be not very good. In fact that goes so far as to say is it sometimes appears to be deliberately altered for the purpose of manipulating the public. So looking at a book uh, titled Hide and Seek, The Untold Story of Cold War Naval Espionage, after all, we spent an awful lot of money to um, track Russian submarines, to have atomic submarines out there as part of our nuclear deterrent. And a lot of money was spent over this between the end of World War II and the fall of the Soviet Union. And I dare say a lot still is. As reported on this program some months back, uh, there was talk about maybe stopping the building of, uh, of atomic subs that have a lot of warheads on it. But Joe Lieberman pointed out, I guess it was last year, this could be very valuable in the war on terror. Because as we all know, there's no more useful a weapon to have against people hiding in caves than submarines. But at any rate, it so happens in this case, I, I, I know someone who's knowledgeable in this area, someone who spent four years in the United States Navy tracking Russian submarines. So while this is not a topic that I know a great deal about, I do have at my fingertips here a genuine expert. So I'd like to say welcome to Radio Parallax, Petty Officer McMurphy.
0: Thanks for having me, Doug.
1: Now, by way of establishing your credentials, we should point out to our audience, this, this was your job for, I guess, four years, tracking Russian submarines for the Navy?
0: Technically, they would have been Soviet submarines at that time. Correct, yes. Yes, I that stand. was my sole job for four years.
1: Tracking Soviet submarines. And what time frame are we talking about where you had experiences uh, doing what you did in the Navy?
0: The first half of the 1980s.
1: What we're going to talk about here may be dated, but uh, certainly is accurate for that time frame.
0: Yes, and that was probably the time frame when there was the most hype about these submarines, the most fear.
1: I remember this era, and I remember there was a lot of hype, and there was a lot of fear. I wanted you to take a look at this book without knowing much about it, and I know you had a chance to, without reading it cover to cover, look through it extensively. What is your initial impression about the quality of the data that is contained in it?
0: I'm sure there are a lot of parts in this book that are factually correct.
1: (laughs) But did something maybe catch your eye here and there that maybe just didn't
0: seem right? There are perhaps certain parts of the book that, while not being flagrantly wrong, (laughs) could be conceived as somewhat misleading.
1: Well, the author, uh, which was the late Captain Peter Hutchhausen, who was described as U.S. Navy Retired, and uh, per his brief bio on the published material, said he had a distinguished career as a Soviet naval analyst and as a naval attache in Yugoslavia, Romania, and the Soviet Union. He was the author of three previous books uh, that were set in the Cold War. It sounds like he, would, he should have been a very knowledgeable person about, about these matters.
0: Yes, I'm sure there was a great deal of information that he received from various sources that— um may have been somewhat different than what was actually observed. (laughs) Well, let's talk about that.
1: Uh, My understanding from previous conversations you and I have had is that when you you entered into this training, and of course, I know that many of our listeners are gonna remember back during the Reagan era, the talk about how potent the Soviet forces were and how Ronald Reagan felt we needed to have a great military buildup to counter them. Uh, I understand that when you, when you came on board, you were, you were explained that there were basically throngs of, maybe that's exaggeration, but a, a substantial number of Soviet submarines out there needed to be tracked.
0: Yes, in the early 1980s, just to give you some background, when I first, on a whim, entered a recruiter's office, <laughs> I was basically um, given the evaluation tests that everyone's given when they go into the service. And when I showed an aptitude towards certain job fields, I was really strong-armed, that they needed me right away. Um, I actually spoke to a recruiter on, I believe it was a Tuesday, and was on my way to basic training Friday of that week. Because this was such a critical (laughs) job. A
1: national priority to take on the riskies. Absolutely. Wow. Okay.
0: Um, Keeping in mind that the job I did didn't, in fact, exist a few years prior.
1: Now, no doubt, none of our, some of our listeners are going to be familiar with a little bit of the lore, and there's quite a bit of it about about subs with the things like the hunt for Red October, and uh, I don't know. There, there's a whole bunch of them. I'm not even thinking of. There's one with a movie based on I guess, another Hutchinson book, K nineteen or something like that. Uh, uh, there's a lot of data out there about this this hide and seek. Like from the title that goes on between our subs and their subs. But uh, I guess the question that that always intrigues me is the public was told that there were probably, I don't know, 15 subs out there, I guess, or, or a substantial number. But when you were tracking them, how many did you have to keep track of?
0: Well, just to give you some perspective, we were told that there were actually hundreds of Soviet submarines.
1: Plural, hundreds. Hundreds. Okay. Yes. Including all the diesel ones.
0: Including everything that they made and were working on. But uh, we were pretty much um, frightened into thinking that the oceans were full of Soviet submarines. Okay. We were trained quite extensively in the detection of these submarines. And finally, each of us was sent off to a super secret base to do the important job of keeping 24-hour surveillance on these submarines.
1: All right. And how many submarines did it turn out to be that you generally found you had to... And, and by the way, we should note, this is old data. Uh, no one's going to get thrown in the brig for what we're talking about here. Uh, the 20-year statute of limitations, I believe, is passed on, on, uh, on this veil of secrecy thrown over all this. And, and by the way, the Soviet Union fell apart 20 years ago. So I think we're on safe ground here. But back to the question, how many did you have to track on uh, usually?
0: Well, the word submarines may be somewhat misleading. Okay. Um, The word submarine might be a little (laughs) bit more accurate.
1: You were generally tracking a single vessel?
0: We were carefully tracking (laughs) a single vessel.
1: Well, you know, again, I'm no military expert, but when I got interested in this stuff back in the 1980s, I decided uh, with all the controversy about the, the triad, there's missiles on land, there's missiles on subs, there's missiles on airplanes. The Soviets got a bunch, we got a bunch. I sat down to take the best information available to the public, to tally up what they had and, and what we had. And uh, and when I was done, it was clear that we had the Soviet Union massively outgunned, mainly because we had so many missiles on our subs. On paper, they had, they had a fair number of subs, but from what you're telling us, apparently they were not on the high seas, or one would surmise they couldn't have been out on the high seas if you only had one.
0: Well, let's say we were certainly expecting more. We did have a very good detection system, and uh, generally speaking, where I was, there was only one. So you would have found more, Doug, if you were up in the North Atlantic, off the coast of Iceland, by the Barents, where they were launched. There were theoretically more up there. Well,
1: the Soviet Union did not have bases all over the world, something that um, put them at a disadvantage versus America, so... I would assume that based on what you're telling us, that, that they probably had to keep whatever subs they did have out, you know, getting wet <laughs> out on the high seas, relatively close to home.
0: I believe had they had more submarines that they could effectively operate at long range, they would have been operating them at long range. I think that there was an unreliability
1: well, I mean, the Soviets seem to have been losing subs right and left. They lost, what, the Kursk a couple of years ago? I mean, they've been in the news a lot for losing them.
0: Had they had as many afloat as we were told they had, <laughs> I, I think the oceans would be toxic now. So fortunately, they did not deploy them long range.
1: Well, and just to clarify things, what, what was the area that your group was surveying? I know there was sonar arrays from Iceland, uh, Greenland to Iceland and Iceland to the U.K., and, and that it was hard to get past those.
0: It was impossible to get past those. They were very effective. Had there been a vast threat, at the very least, we would have known where they were pretty much at all times. Mm -hmm. I was in the Atlantic Ocean, based in a secret base, hiding on the Pompano Golf Course on the island of Bermuda.
1: I'm sure that that a couple decades ago, the Soviets would have just been dying to have that data. But, you know, I got a feeling they knew where you were. I don't know. There's a lot of spies here and there.
0: Well, they tried to cut the... um, surveillance lines from the time that they went into the water so there was never really any doubt that they knew where the underwater surveillance arrays were
1: Mm -hmm.
0: where the data was being analyzed they may not have known the exact specifics of that although it was not that pertinent since as i said they were being tracked from multiple locations at all times we also had arrays being towed behind ships in case they managed to slip by or in case it managed to slip by they had a, a fleet of aircraft, P 3 Orions, to drop buoys on the submarine. And basically, there was a submarine tracking the submarine at all times. Given mean, the amount of firepower
1: that, that we have on, on our subs, and, and presumably they have on their subs, I mean, you know, one submarine surfacing and launching its missile pretty much gets you pretty deep into World War III. So, I mean, there's a certain logic in wanting to, uh, to keep tabs on these, on these vessels.
0: Yes, I would agree that one submarine is enough to be alarmed over.
1: Again, referring to my reading, which was a long time ago, uh, my understanding was that one of ours had 16 missiles on it. Each missile could independently target 10 different locations, which meant that one sub was good for 160 targets, and someone did the math and said, you know, in all the Soviet Union, they don't have 160 urban areas of 100,000 or more, which I thought was pretty much overkill for just one sub.
0: My understanding was the Soviet submarines, in theory, carried more missiles. They were larger submarines. So we had been told up to 30. Okay. As I said, one submarine was a credible threat.
1: Oh, it's one hell of a weapon. (laughs) No Two ways about that. So I think we've established the reality is there maybe weren't quite as many uh, throngs of Soviet subs that were out there. But if someone got a hold of this book, for example, the hide-and-seek book and read it, is that the impression one would get?
0: Yes. They clearly are perpetrating the myth that there were Many, many Soviet submarines, although they do touch on the subject that the ones that were built and were launched were not extremely reliable.
1: Because based on that model that I made back in the 80s, you know, I remember, you know, making quite a few little subs. But, uh, uh, you know, again, from what I remember, even from the reading at that time, that what subs they had were kept close to the bases, uh, which meant that the accuracy, of course, was less for uh, something launched from from, from the sea than it is on land and that this kind of negated their ability to have an advantage because they were basically land-based missiles that just happened to be in the water right off the land, and less accurate.
0: Yes, we were told originally that these hundreds of subs surrounding the United States could have missiles hitting and target any place in the United States within 30 minutes, which could be alarming.
1: Well, the fact of the matter is uh, an ICBM gets where it wants to go pretty dang quick, so if you did want to have off the coast, you could, could, I imagine, hit any place in the country, but... I mean, how close were they to our coast in general when you were tracking them?
0: It was fairly close <laughs> at most times.
1: A few hundred miles off the coast? Or, I mean, I imagine they wouldn't want to put them out in the mid-Atlantic.
0: Oh, no, they were way closer than that. Okay, It so, was way closer than that, yes. So Me no- and Bermuda were 600 miles off the coast. Okay. So um, a submarine could get within hmm, 10 miles. As I said, we knew it was there. They knew that we knew it was there. So there really wasn't um, any surprise. Well, you know, in a
1: book like The Hunt for Red October, they describe this picture where, you know, there's the Russian sub out there and that we've got an attack sub ready to sink it if it decides to surface and, you know, start launching missiles, and that there's sort of a lot of of games going on, and the the Crazy Ivan or something kind of maneuver they would do. You know anything about that?
0: Yes, the Crazy Ivan was an actual trackable event that we could see on our monitoring screens where they basically – hit the all stop button and turned the submarine around. Although in the early days of perfecting this, there was actually a small collision perhaps between a couple of submarines. So they did, they did get more careful. I think it was, it was understood from both submarines that this would be being done on a periodic basis and just to get the hell out of the way.
1: Well, just when someone like you went to go see a movie like The Hunt for Red October, what was your impression? Did you think they'd, they'd I mean, I know Tom Clancy's got some pretty good sources, so I imagine that he got a lot of things right. Was that, was that your impression?
0: Considering when the movie came out, I was really surprised at how accurate it was. There were a couple of misses on information, just guesses that weren't quite right, but more than 90% of the information, I was shocked. The information was very similar to what we were observing the information was correct the information was the same information that i had been threatened with all forms of incarceration if i should ever disclose (laughs) and
1: meanwhile they get a guy that writes a book and they make a big screen movie out of it
0: yeah it was a pretty good movie actually
1: now, I don't want to ask you to speculate as sort of as we wrap up on this thing, but but it seems to me that if, if this guy's writing a book and he's sort of perpetuating some myths about how powerful the Soviets were, that, you know, that's to me, that's just kind of the typical thing they do to justify the expenditures that we, you know, let, let's make more submarines. They're real useful. But it seems to me the time for this is, has passed. I guess there's no question in that this is just a comment made by me. I guess you can make any comment you'd you'd like.
0: Well, at the time, it certainly seemed like it was going to become a credible threat, possibly had the Soviet Union had the resources to build submarines that were a little bit more seaworthy, it could have become a viable threat. (laughs) But let's just say that um, I have never had a fear of anybody's submarines attacking us. There's nobody building submarines right now other than us.
1: Uh, Yeah, I would assume that as we have this conversation that the, 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 the. The Russian government, which has inherited all the subs that used to be owned by the USSR, are are not sending them off the coast uh, in a provocation to hang out 10 miles off of South Carolina, I, I imagine.
0: The Russian government inherited over 200 submarines that are nothing more than a liability. They are radioactive. They are falling apart. They need to be disposed of properly, only they have no means to do it
1: when you say hundreds you mean in total including like very small submarines that are not used in nuclear warfare and that sort of thing
0: submarines in some form my understanding was the russians alone i want to say 245 of them approximately Uh were basically presented to them only you know anything that's in the ocean is going to erode it's going to need to be right mothballed basically and Hmm. the russians don't have a good system
1: well, I, I don't know whether it's true, and I, I, I would be willing to bet that it is. I, I heard back in the day that when Admiral, Admiral Zumwalt, who was, I guess, the father of the, 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 American, Soviet, uh, the American atomic navy, um, went on to, as a courtesy call, I guess as things were in the thaw, uh, during detente or something, and he went aboard a Soviet sub— and supposedly got more radiation in the hour on board the Soviet sub than he would have gotten in like a year on, on one of our ships. I don't know if that you've ever heard anything along those lines.
0: I don't know if the information we were given was correct, but yes, we were basically told that, you know, any sailor on board a submarine was given red wine every day. And we thought, oh, that's just kind of nice. You can't have a drink on board any U.S. submarine, but apparently red wine is supposed to absorb radioactive particles. Uh-huh. So this was the reason why they were uh, allowed to have a drink every night. I, I personally believe that the greatest threat these submarines have e- has ever presented is now that they're basically rotting <laughs> in our oceans.
1: Well, yeah, I, m- I imagine the usual method of disposal is, you know, uh, tow it out to sea and sink it, which is probably not a good idea when you have a nuclear reactor on board, I'm, I'm thinking.
0: Well, it is possible we do that with some of our submarines also although we do monitor where they've been left
1: you know what we're gonna have to do is 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 take a few months maybe read this maybe we finish reading this book a little more research we'll come back and talk about this issue because it is sort of an intriguing part of the cold war that i think is still with us
0: that would be fine i think there's a lot more to be said on the subject of these submarines and what needs to be done with them
1: fair enough let's do that maybe sometime in the fall
0: that sounds good doug all right
1: we've been speaking with petty Officer. McMurphy about her experiences and how uh, you shouldn't necessarily trust everything you read we all
0: live in a yellow submarine
1: yellow submarine yellow submarine